the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or estate law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622 and Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for Okay, welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Uh, those of you who don't know this show, the first part of the show we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we do interviews, and we talk about politics, history, religion. Tonight we're going to focus on religion politics. We have two of our favorite guests on, Father Paul Balicki, who is a Capuchin priest stationed in the Middle East in Beirut, who runs a medical mission to refugees in in the Middle East. And he's going to be talking about some of the latest developments he was involved in when he was here in New York last. We also have Eric Bowling from Fox News on. Eric Bowling has a new book out, Drain the Swamp. Now, as far as estate planning and elder law, that's what we're going to start doing in the next few minutes. If you have any questions, give us a call at 1-866-970-9622. 1-866-970-9622. And Beth, uh, you have a couple of email questions, don't you? I do indeed. I hope we can get them all. I actually have three for today. Okay. The first one is from Joe. Mike. What do you mean when you say that the state inherits your estate if you don't make a will? Well, I don't know if that's – the state could inherit in some cases if you don't have a will. In other words, let's say if you do not have any descendants of your grandparents alive, and think about it. In other words, if there is nobody alive who is descendant of your grandparents and you're not married, your state is your next of kin. And if you died without a will in that case, the assets in your name alone would would pass to the state. So I'll give you an example. Let's say we have a husband and wife, and they don't have any children. They own a house together. Husband, maybe he has a number of brothers and sisters. They've all passed on. He's got six nephews and nieces. The wife, we're going to say in this case, is an only child. Her mother, now deceased, was an only child. Her father, now deceased, was an only child. The couple's in a car accident. Husband's pronounced dead at the scene. Wife's rushed to the hospital. She dies a few hours later. The couple doesn't have a will. Their house goes to the state. Now, that doesn't really happen very often, but it does happen. And, and the reason it happened, of course, when the, when the husband died, the wife was single. She wasn't married. And in the fact pattern I gave where she was an only child, her parents were, you know, didn't have any brothers or sisters. She couldn't have any aunts or uncles. And in that case, she can't have any cousins. So the assets go to the state. Now, what... 
you might have heard, and, and that happens occasionally, not that often. But what does happen sometimes, people die without a will, and the sta- state writes a will for you. Now, that happens all the time. Now, ordinarily, the assets in your name alone, if you do not have a will, pass to your next of kin by law, which, again, you know, your spouse to start with. If you have children, your children share in your estate. If one of your children passes away, your grandchildren. If you have no children or grandchildren, you're not married. It would be your parents, brothers and sisters, so forth, down the line, nephews and nieces, uncles and aunts, cousins. The state writes a will for you if you do not have a will on your own. So everybody out there, whether you know it or not, you have a will. You have a will either that you drafted and signed or a will the state writes for you. Ordinarily, everybody should have a will. You want to choose the beneficiaries of your estate. All right, we'll take a phone call right now. Eva in Brooklyn. Yes, Eva, what's your question? Hi, this is Eva. Uh, I have a question. I put my house in an irrevocable trust three years ago. Is it possible to sell it and buy something smaller? Can I do that? Yeah, it's always possible to sell a house in a trust. The only thing is we have to work with whoever the trustee is, which 90% of the trust we do are between parents and children. So if it's an irrevocable trust, we need both the signature of the parents and the children to sell the house. Any trust can be sold. It's just a question of who the trustee is. And, you know, that's where some people think, I put my house in a trust, I can't sell it then. No, you can. Now, it's a family partnership. The parents ordinarily can't sell the house without the children. The children can't sell the house without the parents. But that's what protects that house from medical bills. Okay, thank you, Eva. But as long as I have both signatures, my yes. signature you can always and sell it. the other party's signature? You can okay. always sell a house. You're never locked in. Okay? Thank you. All right. All right. Cliff in New York Good City. Night. Thank you. Cliff in New York City. Yeah, hi. Hi, hello. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Uh, yeah, listen, let's say a person like me, for example, if I inherited a cooperative apartment uh, and I turn around and I decide to sell it, what's my personal tax liability like? Well, assuming you inherited the uh, apartment in the relatively, you know, not that long ago, ordinarily, if you inherit an apartment, the tax basis in the apartment is going to be the date of death value. So if the person who you inherited for died, let's say, six months ago, Technically, you get uh-huh. an appraisal for six months ago, and that's your tax basis. I see. So, so do I have to pay personal taxes on that money? Probably not, because you may even have a tax loss on it. Because what do you think the co-op's worth roughly? Oh, about two hundred thousand. All right, two hundred thousand. So probably it was close to two hundred thousand dollars when the person died. That's your tax basis. Yes. Then, if you pay closing costs, transfer tax, you know, which is a sales tax, assuming you live in the city or a real estate broker, those those costs are a loss, and they come off your income tax. So you're probably going to have a tax benefit. You're probably going to have a loss, which you can take either off other assets that you sold as a capital gain, or you can write it off your regular income at the rate of $3,000 a year. So probably when you sell that apartment, you're going to have a tax loss uh, that you can take off next year's tax return. But what would what would the tax rate be on, on that kind of money? You're taking a loss. There is no tax rate. Oh, oh. So it's it's they owe me actually. Right, right. So let's say uh, the apartment is worth two hundred thousand dollars on date of death. After your closing costs, you net one hundred eighty thousand dollars. You're going to have a twenty thousand dollar loss. So that twenty thousand dollar loss is going to come off your income taxes. 
If you have a cap, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Does that include the federal income tax? Yes. The state. Yes. State, uh, federal, city. Yeah. So all three of them, basically, uh, you're going to have a loss. Yep. You're going to have a loss because they're always closing costs. The co-op's going to charge you something to close. New York City charges like a sales tax on $200,000. It would be roughly about $2,800. That's a closing uh-huh. cost. You don't even see that money. Um, and I then see. if you pay a broker, obviously that's a loss. You pay an attorney to handle the closing for you. You know, you add it all up. That's going to be your tax loss. You can either sell something else. Let's say if you bought stocks for $20,000 and they're worth fifty, and you sell it, you right. can take it off that gain. If you don't have stocks or another asset you have a gain on, then you can take it a loss at three thousand dollars a year off your income tax until the, you know, the twenty thousand or whatever is is taken. So if you took let's say, let's say if I, if I go ahead. let's say if I don't decide to sell it, right? If I decide to keep it, am I do I, am I exposed to any liabilities? Not really. I mean, then you if you rent it out, you can depreciate the apartment at let's say two hundred thousand yeah. dollars. So that's a write off. So you're probably not paying a lot of money in rent. If you rent it out and you make a profit, you're probably not paying too much in, in taxes on the rent because you have you can write the apartment off at two hundred thousand dollars. But I don't have to pay income tax unless I sell it. Oh no, you don't have to pay income tax unless you sell it. I mean if you hold it for twenty years and it goes from two hundred thousand to four hundred thousand and you don't live in the apartment, you may have a two hundred thousand dollar gain twenty years from now, whatever you know, whatever it comes right. to. Right. All right, thank you much. All right, you're welcome, Cliff. And by the way, you know, uh, that's overlooked a lot of times when we do estate planning and elder law. A lot of times, we talked a couple of weeks ago with Justin Daly, one of the attorneys in our office. And one of the things, you know, we put these plans in place. And every once in a while, somebody who's carrying out the plan later, you know, doesn't know the tax ramifications of what we do, and it costs the clients money. I would just say, if you're selling a house, you're thinking of selling a house, uh, selling a co-op that was in a trust or you inherited, you may want to see us on that because there are a lot of rules out there that accountants and attorneys, real estate attorneys who don't deal with people passing away are not too sophisticated with the tax laws. A lot of accountants know how to report things, but they really don't understand trusts. They don't understand the form 1041, which is what you use when you sell, let's say, a co-op or a house from a trust. You may want to touch base with us because a lot of times we have found out we can save people hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes because the accountant may not know the background, the history of the trust, what the trust does, may not completely understand it. And remember, what we deal with, we deal with estate planning, elder law. We deal with trust inheritances every day of the week. You know, there's some accountants, they may not have a client who dies except once every three, four, five years, and they may not be that familiar with it. And we're not out to do your tax return on a regular tax return, but if, let's say you have a house that was bought for $50,000 30 years ago, and you're selling that for a million dollars now, and one of the people in the chain of title died, I would say it's probably worth to see us about the sale of that house, because in a lot of cases, we'll save you money than somebody else who really doesn't know the rules inside out. Well, I guess it's time for a break. Later on in the show, again, we're going to have two guests on tonight. We're going to have Father Ball Balicki about human rights in the Middle East, Capuchin Friar. And we're going to have Eric Bowling talking about his latest book, Drain the Swamp. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. 
Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, August 15th at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue in Maspeth, Queens at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, Queens on Wednesday, August August 16th at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. and on Friday, August 18th at The Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718 718- 238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan. 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got a question for Mike? Call him at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. All right, well, welcome back. We're still in our estate planning phase. A little bit later, we're going to have on Capuchin Friar, Father Paul Balicki, and he'll explain what a Capuchin Friar is later. And Eric Bowling from Fox News, and he's got a book out, you know, drain the swamp. But let's take another estate planning question or two. Beth, what's the next question? All right, this one is from Doris. Dear Mike, my husband and I have a home in Brooklyn and one in Florida. Where do we probate our estates when we pass away? Thank you, Doris. Okay, well, here's a problem, Doris. We're going to have to probate. If you pass away, and let's say the house is in the survivor's name alone, we're going to have to probate your will here in New York and probate your will in Florida. And that's one of the times when we want to avoid probate, which is not dramatic. A lot of times I give a story about why we want to avoid probate. Somebody's going to contest your will. You have missing relatives. You have a disabled relative. And we talk about the horror stories, how long it takes to get through probate. But one of the other stories we give on one you want to avoid probate, if you own real estate in more than one state, because in this case, if that happens, we have to probate your will here 
in New York, then we have to go to Florida and probate your will in Florida. And believe me, it's going to cost more than you'd like it to cost because you're going to pay for two different proceedings in two different states. And ordinarily, you want to avoid that. And how do you avoid that? You put your house in New York in a trust. You put your house in Florida in a trust. You avoid probate, and your children can sell the property, usually tax-free. There's no death tax in Florida right now. New York State, there's no estate death tax under $5,125,000. So in a lot of cases, between husband and wife, we can avoid probate. We can avoid estate taxes you know, through a trust agreement. James, I see we have some calls up there. I don't see any names, though. Okay. All right, if you have any questions you want to email us, you can email us at theanswer at connorsandsullivan.com. Theanswer at connorsandsullivan.com. And all your emails are answered. Sometimes we do not answer them on the radio because, you know, that might be a little personal or sometimes we lose some of the, uh, you know, some of the intake or whatever if we can't get the all the information. So we have a question from Ray. Yes, Ray, what's your question? Uh, what is the situation with respect to reverse mortgages on co-op apartments? Well, ordinarily, you can't get a straight reverse mortgage on a co-op apartment. There are some lenders that will give you a loan on that if they hold the stock certificate, but a straight licensed reverse mortgage right now you can't get on a co-op apartment. Is that so? Because it's not really real estate. It's a stock certificate. Now, I know some people that will give loans on it that are similar to a reverse mortgage, it's just not government-insured programs, which, in effect, it's the same thing. Um, but the problem with a stock certificate, and one, your co-op board has to approve it. And that's one of the things, if somebody owns a co-op, we can talk about trust, we can talk about transferring assets, so forth and so on. But if you have a co-op and want to put it into a trust, you, ha- you want to get a loan on your co-op, you have to go through your co-op board and you have to get permission of the board before you do it. And I would think a lot of co-op boards would not want to reverse mortgage because they don't want the bank taking over the apartment after you're gone, mm-hmm. which occasionally happens on a reverse mortgage because the person lives to be 100. The equity in the apartment is eaten up by the reverse mortgage. Mm-hmm. So all these things would be at the option of the of the board of the co-op. Is that, is that right. Anything you do as far as with an apartment that's in a co-op, you have to get permission of the board. For good or bad. I mean, the, the board usually, hopefully, think well of them, is there to protect your interest, is to protect the owners of the co-op. But they put their rules and restrictions on, and if they think it's too much of a risk to the building at whole, they may say no. And you got to remember, if the co-op is stuck with too many people not paying the maintenance, uh, you could lose the building. So they do have to be protective, and they do have a right of uh, putting rules in. Uh, let me make one assumption, and if you can address that. I'll try. Um, if the co-op board approves, let's say, of a prospective buyer, a new buyer, uh, does that clear the way for, for the reverse mortgage, or is it still uh, hazardous? Well, you, won't get a, you wouldn't get a reverse mortgage and have a new buyer. No, no I mean you would prospectively have a new buyer. Oh, <laughs> I take your point. The sequence would be in reverse. Yeah, right. you'd want to get permission, I guess, from the board to go ahead and try to get a reverse mortgage, but then may, they may say that you cannot have this particular right. prospective tenant. And I can give you lenders that will give you a loan similar to a reverse mortgage, but it's not the same as the government-insured program. Mm-hmm. All right. Can I call you at your office? Yeah, certainly uh, Monday after 9 o'clock. Okay. At what number? Uh, 718-238-6500. 
718-238-6500. Thank you for listening, Ray. I've got you, and thank you for your help. Okay, good luck. All right, so we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes, but again, after the break, we're going to be talking to Father Paul Balicki, again, talking about his testimony before Congress about the Middle East. And uh, Beth, were you in the room when he... Uh, when we were talking to him last about uh, his hearings in Washington? Um, I heard not all of it, but um, part of it. It was very interesting. Um, he was talking about his frustration. Um, he, I don't think he really thought they were um, listening to the subject. Mm-hmm. That Wasn't that your impression? Yeah, and I don't think he has a lot of faith in the American political system. No. Not that he has a lot of faith in the political well, he, system he, in he, Europe, he, but... Yeah, he appreciated the fact that they allowed him to come in and and give a testimony or um his his uh what he knew about what was going on over there, his his thoughts about it. But um I just don't think he thought after the whole thing was over, I don't think he thought it was going to help. Okay, so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Father Paul Balicki. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Whenever I sit down with a homeowner, the number one question asked is always, which reverse mortgage option is best for me and my family? I personally will help you decide which reverse mortgage program is best for you. My job is to help active retirees find the best solution for their retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward, objective information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call 888-943-2646. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. 
Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now, he dropped by the studio, Father Paul Balicki. And Father Paul, many of you know, is from the Middle East. He's stationed in Beirut, Lebanon. And I understand you were in Washington a few days ago. Yes, indeed. Two days, um, straightforward Senate commission. It was a hearing about human rights in Syria and, and Jordan. But basically, we talk about uh, what happened in Syria with this um, situation now with the President Assad and usage of gas and how many victims we've had so far. We also talk about um, the Syrian government because they decided somehow that being a medic or a doctor or physician, it's actually against the government. So they now they try to stop even Syrian doctors, Syrian physicians to do their job. So what we're trying to do, we try to uh, collect these, these doctors and physicians that we are looking for and we need in the Middle East since they know the language and they know the culture and they know medicine, everything that we need. We try to kind of uh, take them to... Um, to Lebanon or to Jordan, not just to save their life, also that's the only scenario for, for these physicians now. So these two days in Washington was very productive, but I should say um, it was also very kind of upsetting because physicians for human rights, they do their best to protect um, to protect the situation of, of any uh, um, medics in, in the Middle East, but also Human Rights Commission was very, uh, very, very concerned about um, where should we go with the statement? It's just, uh, is it that statement only for United Nations? Or maybe we should go public and like uh, mainstream media and talk about that. The thing is, uh, only CBS was interested in that kind of discussion, like uh, in public on on TV. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not very familiar with all these stations, but I know CBS, I know CNN. Um, but the only one station was interested in, and um, some of the senators, they were asking us, um, what do we expect us to do? So we just told them, the, the senators, that the only thing you should do, the very first one, uh, you have to talk to the Syrian government and tell them that we are not against them. We can take care of everyone who is in Syria or in Lebanon or Jordan, because of the war, but we shouldn't be killed just because we're physicians. We, we have nothing to do with politics, and we will not ask anyone for his ID or her ID to double-check who's going to be um, accepted in our emergency room. So I think these two days, uh, as I said before, were very productive but kind of upsetting because I'm afraid that these days people are listening like for five minutes, and since there's so many things going on in the world, so it's gonna the topic will be forgotten in about a few, few days. So we decided that um, I'm going to write an article, um, uh, an article about physicians in Syria and Jordan, especially now refugees physicians, which is even uh, more uh, more um, awkward because we we actually we were dealing with refugees like Christians, but now we have uh, doctors refugees, and and it sounds even. Uh, um, uh, and kind of you know weird, but uh, that's what we, we we try to understand. So I'm going to write an article, and also September 12th I'll be back. So very first week of October we have another hearing with uh, with Congress. There's a different commission. I don't remember the name. I, I have it on my on my um, on my email. But um, we will kind of present a kind of official statement about doctors and and th their situation in Syria. And maybe we should talk about sanctions again. If I'm understanding correctly, the mm -hmm. Assad regime 
is threatening or is persecuting doctors who treat the wrong people yes. in the war. Yes. So in other words, if, if you have a clinic mm-hmm. and an enemy of the state comes into the clinic, you could be prosecuted for a crime? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And also being a doctor... Now all activities you 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 are keeping as a, as a physician, uh, the government consider like against the state. So you're like enemy, the enemy of the state. Uh, so I think things are getting worse and worse because I know that situation is messy in Syria, but the government still exists, which means president and and all, all his cabinet. But you can't blame doctors just because they they're doing their job that's our mission i mean helping people and there's no uh, you cannot politicize everything these days we have to have some limits there is kind of a human being in front of you who's looking for help and they already have a miserable life so if if they have a miserable life and we have some some um i would say some instruments or some some uh you know things that we may use to help them why not why should we be why shouldn't be, you know, the situation uh, described as like politically incorrect in Syria? Were any of these senators involved in the hearing? Would you would you characterize, you know, some of the senators were they insightful? Did they just ask stupid questions, or did they seem to have a knowledge of the situation? Some of them, yes, indeed, they have a knowledge. But the, 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 all these questions were well mostly about like, so what do, what do you want me to do? That was the only kind of. Um, that's what I've learned, and I was talking about um, about that with other physicians in, in in Washington. It's not just what what you should do; it's it's what we should do to help these people. And uh, it's not like I'm coming to to Washington D.C. and and asking for help because I have some ideas. It's it's all about the very dangerous situation for uh, for physicians. Uh, but I don't think that the question, so what do you want me to do, is exactly the question I was looking for. I was looking for a more understanding than that, like sanctions. Let's do officially a statement. Let's let's put something in public, like a statement or the government statement. Uh, and you know, President uh, Trump, he was always uh, talking about Christians from the Middle East that they were persecuted. So uh, we have now doctors persecuted. So maybe in 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 that area of of um, ideas, we can do something together. Let, let's see how it goes, October. Uh, I think it's October uh, 4th or 5th in Washington, D.C. Let's see how how it goes. But um, um, that was kind of, to be honest with you, very, very upsetting uh, two days because I thought they, they, I had an idea or kind of, I saw, I felt that they're just asking me questions because they think I want something from the government. But it's not me uh, who wants something from the government. It's all about us in in the Middle East, you know, in, in, in the field. Let's back up a little bit. Some of our listeners, they may not know what a capuchin friar is. Can you explain that to them? Absolutely. St. Francis from Assisi, very cool guy. He did excellent job. Uh, I'm surprised that, you know, Catholic Church did, like, nothing against him. He's even canonized, my friend. So, and our Pope um, decided to have uh, actually his name officially, the Pope Francis. So we are all Franciscans, Capuchin friars. Um, we actually, I think all of us, we are like thieves. So what we do, we, we kind of stealing uh, from people all kind of bad, you know, ideas and, and things or depressive, you know, situations. And we give them, them a little bit of hope. That's, that's kind of mission we do. Is it understandable since my accent is horrible? Where's your accent from? 
That's a very good question. I ask myself. It's a Caesar salad, you know, in American way. So uh, it's a little bit of Polish and French and and I think uh, a little bit of Bay Ridge accent. No, I'm kidding. I don't think. Maybe one day. One day. But we are all Franciscans, which means we all about, about uh, like... Um, a human being in front of us who needs help anyone who's looking for help this is what we try to do so you can you can google capuchins and our missions and you will you will discover uh, beautiful things that we we do since uh 13 14th century yeah your mission if somebody wants to learn more about it or if they want to make a check out where would they do that well there is a very easy process uh you can write a check um for even one dollar for province of saint mary which is the the capuchin province here in new york and on the memo section you can write paul father paul bieletsky uh mission so uh, all these funds are going to our um uh, mission account in 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 the middle east so we can use that to buy like recently incubators or uh, and uh, you know um medical help for for kids so it's very easy province of saint mary capuchin friars and the address is on on on, on google so it's it's easy to access Okay. If you want, like, tax exam paper and stuff, it's also very, very easy to get. Okay, well, remember, that is a tax deduction, and a lot of people... Yeah, I know. I talk with lawyers. I know. You know the, the I'm learning. People the show. They don't want the government to get their money. I know. They want tax deduction. I know. So, my friends, wherever you are and uh, whoever you are, yes, indeed, we do provide a very fancy uh, paper, which is 501C3. Am I correct? You are correct. Perfect. All that because Mr. Connor told me. <laughs> so yes, yes, it's it's you can have that that tax exempt um, uh, paper. So don't worry, you're not gonna lose your fortune. Well, we just want to get our deductions. That's yes, all. yes, you will have it. Again, you're stationed where? Beirut, uh, Lebanon, and all my mission is is actually about refugees who are now in Lebanon, uh, Zahle and Bake, uh, Valebeka, and also in Jordan because Syria, uh, Georgia, Jordan, Jordanian government and, and Lebanese government, they, these two countries accepted refugees so far. Ironically, not even one Arabic country didn't accept refugees, their own brothers and sisters. I think it's kind of really hard to understand why. So if you have a refugee from, let's say, Syria, mm -hmm. they will not be accepted by most Muslim? Absolutely not. Like, you know, Arab states, uh, not even one accepted refugees. So um, they, they're sending money to Europe to, to, I don't know, help refugees, whatever that means. But actually, they didn't accept uh, not even one family, you know. And uh, it's it's also kind of uh, the irony is that I, I, I brought a few families here into the U.S., uh, so it's it's possible if you do some some paperwork and you, you are kind of passionate about that. But they have millions of dollars to do this. You know, in one day they can like bring I don't know thousands of families, because it's uh, it's all about just goodwill. But they didn't. So uh, and it's interesting because everyone is asking me, um, okay, how about how how about Syria? Uh, how can we help refugees? We should start maybe to talk about how to end that war. Because war will produce all the time refugees, like each war, you know, in your country or in in, in Europe, in Poland or or France, you know, it's it's just it's a question of how to stop this this nonsense, uh, whatever is happening now in Syria. But it's interesting that Arab states, Arab countries, didn't accept their own uh, Muslim brothers and sisters, and ironically, they're supposed to help others. 
So uh, it's interesting because also in, in, in some articles, I couldn't even find even one article asking that question, why they didn't accept their own uh, brothers and sisters. And I have a question, and some hmm. commentators have made this. Why would the Assad regime gas its own people? What's the rationale? A very good question. Um, if we if we can go back, his father did the same in late 80s. And uh, so sounds like a family tradition. And I know it's, it's really horrible, but um, he did it because he's driven by vengeance. And he knows also that the rest of his country is totally, you know, a mess. Uh, of course, Russians are present in, in Syria and they're very happy about that. But uh, using gas is uh, was kind of reaction for what's going on in Syria. And we still remember President Obama once said, if he's going to use gas, we go in. He used, nothing happened. The, the Obama's administration did nothing about that. So he's doing the same thing again. And uh, of, co of course, the reaction was, you know, we've had patients, we've had people witnessing, uh, we've had some, some reports, but and nothing happened. I mean, not even uh, like one debate, uh, how should we send uh, President, Ab uh, President Assad away? You know, he's, he's well protective and, uh, and protected by, by some foreign governments. So maybe that's, that's why he's still president what would last thought for our listeners what would you so say? breathe my friends have a cup of tea and remember that there's always hope don't get depressed don't watch too much uh, cnn it's <laughs> just you will be fine and you will live until you die i promise you but you will be fine because god created us with love and we can protect that love every day that's my message and i i'm saying this to myself every morning that's why i'm still alive thank you father paul thank you very much we all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens Will my to assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated 
dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors & Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Okay, well, welcome back again. Our next interview was Eric Bowling. And some of you, you know, just to uh, get rid of some confusion, we take the questions and answers live here at the studio at uh, Broadway and Wall Street each Saturday night. We tape 90% of our interviews ahead of time because a lot of times our guests just can't make it at 6.30 or 6.45 on a, a Saturday night. So sometimes, you know, when you it may seem a little disjointed because the calls are live, the interviews are taped. But next, our next guest is Eric Bowling from Fox News, and here's what he had to say a few days ago. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Last year, we had Eric Bowling on, and he was telling us how Donald Trump could win the election. And I didn't quite believe him, but he was right. So now he's talking about how Donald Trump can drain the swamp. And I don't believe him, but he was right before. So congratulations to you. <laughs> Maybe you don't believe me. You don't believe you can do I want to believe you. I'm well, just not. you know, a year and ago. And you were right we'll, last year, so I'm not. Yeah. This is how confident I was. I, last year, when I, after Wake Up America, I, I was saying Trump can win, Trump can win. People pushed back. But I was so confident. I started writing this book during the campaign before he had even won. And it was about what does he have in store for him when he does, in fact, win. And sure enough, I, you know, I, I just couldn't believe the, the amount of corruption and cronyism that goes on in D.C. The stories kept coming at me, kept getting deeper and deeper, that, that swamp. And I realized he's got a heck of a lot of work cut out for him. So I, I compiled the book, uh, the first part of the book being how, much, how long this has been going on, how, how um, extensive it is. And it's really extremely extensive. I mean, just uh, most of those people that we elect to send to D.C. and represent us, they get there and they start representing themselves the minute they get there and they forget about us, the voter and taxpayer. But also the, the last part of the book is, is deals with Mr. Trump himself. I've known him a long time. I've spoken to him since he's president uh, in person a couple of times. He calls me once in a while. And I talked about some of the things that I recommend in the book. Um, in fact, I left him a copy of the manuscript before it was printed and waited to hear from him to see what he thought. He never called me, but sure enough, the day we published, he tweeted about the book, and that, for me, was a sign that he gave, gives it his, his stamp of approval. So uh, when you read the book, you realize that these things are things that have been t- discussed with the president himself and maybe recommendations that, that can actually drain the soil. I think he can do it. I think he can certainly, maybe he doesn't drain it completely in the eight years he has, but I will tell you, he is already starting to let some of the mucky water out already. I mean, think about the... Have you ever heard a president say, how much does this cost, especially when talking about something that's going to be for him, the Air Force One and Air Force Two that he talked about immediately upon entering the office? He said, oh, we're paying too much for that. I, I, I got the taxpayers back. Let's get that, those prices down. Now, one of the things I noticed, you start going back to Ted Kennedy in the night of Chappaquiddick. And, you know, I forgot a lot of the events uh, of that, but I, I guess that's typical of what the swamp is about. Yeah, it, I, so I had all these stories of – you know, lobbying, lobbyists taking tens of billions of dollars and throwing them into campaign coffers of politicians for their votes so their special interests are actually buying the votes in some sort of legal buying for votes uh, process that goes on in D.C. But And then I also, t- uh, you know, investigated and talked a lot about some of the other types of, of swamp-dwelling activities like some of the sex in the swamp and whatnot. 
But I wanted to start the book. So I had all these stories, but I wanted to start the book, something that everyone knew about, and you point out, Ted, Ted Kennedy, Senator Ted Kennedy. Um, and we we know a lot of the story, but a lot of the stuff that we we didn't know as well or may not have remembered is that Ted Kennedy and five of his best older elected official married friends guys were having a party with six very, very young, very pretty and very single uh, interns and, and young girls who wanted to just be around the uh, the elected officials partying, you know, drinking, who's, who knows what else is going on. Kennedy peels off with Mary Jo Kopechny, 29-year-old, beautiful, single, young little girl who just wanted to be part of the process. She, they, they go into the water. Kennedy drives into the water. But here's the part where it gets, you know, it, it, I, I want the reason why I wanted to start the book. The swamp starts right here when Ted Kennedy, who is an, a competitive swimmer at the time, saves himself and then sits at the bank of the of the waters, contemplating what this meant for him politically going forward. Sat there, then decides to get up. Uh, I think most of us know the story where he walks past several homes of people in them, decides not to call the police. He gets back, goes back to the party. I think we know that part as well. He, he has another cocktail at the party, doesn't tell anyone, doesn't call the police, then goes back to his own hotel room. And this is kind of weird. He tells the manager of the hotel, rather than telling the manager that there's someone dying in, in, in the water, he says, those people are making too much noise over there. Can you quiet them down? I need some sleep. Goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning. Finally, his friends talk him into calling the police. They get the body out of the water, and the coroner, now here's the swamp part, the coroner has found that Kopechny lived in the car for a time, may not have even drowned, may have died of suffocation, which means there was an opportunity for Ted Kennedy to save that girl or certainly maybe some uh, police or fire to, to save the girl. Instead, he's on the, on the bank of the river contemplating his political future. And, and just to put an icing on the cake, the, the the Democrats of Massachusetts decided to reelect Ted Kennedy anyway, and he was the better part of a half a century their senator. And why did the people of Massachusetts? Why was never an issue for them? Why didn't anybody else bring it up? Well, I think that's the part. That's the problem with the swamp. There's so many things that are going on that you and I, or the average person, would a go to jail for, or certainly be you know, looked frowned upon. And in D.C., it, they're they're immune to it. They they operate at a completely different. Uh, set of values and certainly a different set of laws. There are a lot of things in D.C. that, that you, you can do as a, a lawmaker that you can't do as an average citizen. You're not held to insider trading on a lot of the ways that they, they're trading stocks in D.C. If they know of a, of a, of a, of a road that's going to go somewhere or a patent that's going to happen and they, these lawmakers trade on it, they've, even though they've discussed it and got some information on, on some of the companies that are going to benefit from some of these decisions, they don't go, they don't get in trouble that's okay it's called the stock act for them they're immune to it you and i would go to jail for that kind of thing so they operated uh, with a completely different set of rules and laws and at a different level of uh let's call it ethical behavior than that you and i do and you talked about congressmen driving under the influence and what happens to them yeah well if you're in dc and you're a congressman and you say you're it doesn't matter if it's four or five in the morning and you say you're, you're on the way to to a vote that's all you have to do is tell the capitol police that that's what you're up to they don't. They can't even question the congressman, uh, and he can be stone drunk. But guess what? Uh, he can't be uh, held accountable for that. They have, they have to. They can tell him to get out of the car and walk, but they're not going to lock him up, and they lock you and I up. So what does Trump have to do right now? So a couple of recommendations toward the toward the uh, 
the second half of the book are well. One is that I tell I and I've told him this personally, and I said it on TV. I mentioned this to him. Keep tweeting. I love the fact that the most powerful man in the free world wakes up every morning and lets the world know what he's about, and also keeps you know the fake news media, the liberal mainstream media, on their toes because they can put something out and he can just counteract it with 110 million uh, people seeing what he does on Twitter, Facebook, and, and the other forms of social media. So I like the fact that he's he's tweeting. Some people, even on the right, think that's a mistake. I don't care. I think I think we need to hear it. Um, but I think the bigger overarching theme, it's, it's a whole chapter in the book, is, is treat the treat the country the way you treat a corporation. It's really the reason why I thought Trump was going to win, because he would bring businessman sensibility to running the country. And he's doing that. I mentioned the Air Force One and Air Force Two, the rolling back of regulations. He's not playing politics in D.C. He's playing businessman, corporate corporate leader uh, in D.C., make the Oval Office like the boardroom, I think that's really, really why we're seeing such phenomenal success on on the economic front under Trump. Now, of course, what about all the negative press that, that comes from every station? I think even your station has, you know, a fair amount of negative press. I mean, they're trying to be balanced, obviously, but it's he's pounded on all the other stations. Yeah, he's he's hit hard. And again, I, I, I there are things, this whole story today of uh, Donald Trump Jr. Um, the meeting with a Russian. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. I'm watching all the other channels um, flipping back and forth, and that's all they're talking about all day is this this meeting. Meanwhile, there's nothing illegal about what he did. This uh, Russian lawyer lied to get into the United States. She was turned down for a visa, and she made up another reason to be here, and she got in. And the meeting, uh, admittedly by someone who was present or at least brokered the meeting, so there's nothing really of of material substance that was discussed. So, so they just are looking for any reason to hit the president. They just want to see him go down at, at, at any anything they can put up against him. And, you know, for unfortunately for them, there, there's there's been nothing. All right. So, what do you want the reader to to take away from your book, The Swamp? And, and so I just got through with a massive book tour uh, over the weekend. It made seven stops through Florida and South Carolina, and I think what what really resonated with the with the people were the five six hundred people at stops and, and whatnot. And they they really were mad. They're mad that that all these things, these shenanigans, all these stories of crime and corruption and cronyism are going on and they're not being told. There's no one shedding a light on it. I think the book does that. It's certainly it it it, it turns the light on and the cockroaches are going to start start to scamper away. They need we all need to know what's going on. We all need to know that. And by the way, it's not a partisan book. There's a lot of Republicans in the book. I'm getting phone calls from Republican friends saying, well, friends are not so much friends anymore, saying, why, did, why the hell did you put me in the book? And I said, well, because you did bad stuff, and we know about it, and people should know about it too. So I think that's the important takeaway is that there are a lot of things going on in D.C. that, that are, are frankly detrimental to us personally as taxpayers and voters, and we need to continue to know about it and talk about it and spread the word that it's got to stop and vote for people who will stop it. Now, a lot of times they say they will. You really got to hold them accountable. Okay, so the name of the book, How Trump Can Drain the Swamp by Eric Bowling. He was right before. Hopefully he's right again. And where's the best place to get your book? Everywhere. It's, it's number Everywhere. three on the New York Times bestseller list. We just, we just hit it in our debut week, which is phenomenal. It's flying Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, any bookstore, ericbowling.com is fine, too. Okay, Eric, good luck on your shows. Good luck on your book. All right, so... You know, I, we're toward the tail end of our show for this week. Um, next week, I think we're going to have on uh, 
Tuskegee Airmen, a very remarkable story, African-American gentleman who was captured by the Germans during World War II. And the story he gives is a little surprising of how he was treated by the Germans. It's, it's a very interesting story. And we'll be talking to Colonel Brown next week, one of the last of the Tuskegee Airmen alive. He's living in Ohio right now. Beth, what do we got up? What's going on? What do we have going? Well, we're wrap- we've just had so much fun in the last few weeks. I'm kind of winding down. Um, your seminars went well, so hooray! Um, what do we have this week? Do we well, you have, know what, Marvin uh, Jeffcoat's got a fundraiser. Marvin does some part-time work for us. He's going to law school, but he's running for the city council in Queens, and he's got a fundraiser on Thursday, July 27th, nice. at Tito Ray Rad's 4910 Queens Boulevard. And if you have any questions about that, contact Marvin Jeffcoat, Republican and conservative candidate for New York City's 12th, 26th Council District. So he's got a fundraiser at 40, 4910 Queens Boulevard. His phone number is 347-841-4335. Is that David Kincaid I hear in the background? Oh, no. Okay, so it's another show comes to a close. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We're on hollowed ground here next to Trinity Church, Wall Street, and Broadway. Bye-bye. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.